Welcome to the Finance Cafe, the business podcast for women entrepreneurs that breaks through the money taboo and explores what's behind the numbers. Join your hosts, founders of the Finance Cafe, Shannon Peston and Shauna Frederick, every week as they dive into conversations about business and finance with women entrepreneurs and the experts that support them. With their combined experience in finance and accounting, Shannon and Shauna know financial management is more than numbers, but rather the combination of our lived experience, skills, attitudes and behaviors, and how these come together to shape the financial decisions we make along our entrepreneurial journeys. It's about uncovering the story of our businesses, being empowered by our decisions and unlocking our full potential as entrepreneurs. Here at Finance Cafe, we're changing the way we talk about finance and empowering women entrepreneurs to see their business in a new light. One story and one number at a time. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Finance Cafe podcast. I'm your host for today, Shauna Frederick, and I'm thrilled to be joined today by intellectual property lawyer, Luann Morrow. Welcome to the show, Luann. Hi, thanks so much for having me. You know, Luann, I'm really excited about our conversation today because I believe it's a conversation and a topic that's not often spoken about. So we're going to get into the details of intellectual property, patents, trademarks, all the fun stuff. And I think maybe even something that, you know, entrepreneurs may not often think about as they're entering business or even if they've been in business for a number of years. So excited to have your expertise on the show. But So why don't you first of all start by telling our listeners a little bit about who Luann Morrow is. Sure. Thank you so much. I'm a lawyer. I'm qualified in, in to practice in Canada and the United States. I'm with the firm of BLG. And you know, I help entrepreneurs and businesses navigate the intricacies of intellectual property law, from protection, enforcement, valuation, and licensing to the sale of IP assets. I really love working with startup businesses and women to empower them to find value in their ideas and what they create from them. So that is me in a nutshell. I love that empowerment for women entrepreneurs and that whole protection and enforcement. Again, we don't often talk about these intellectual property, the assets that we have as a business and how to protect them. And as I was doing some research for the show, I came across a stat that showed 80,000 trademark applications were filed and 40,000 patent applications were filed for the year ending March 2022. But what really blew my mind is that only 50% were approved. So can we talk a little high level here about why they may not get approved when you're filing these applications? Yeah, absolutely. It depends you know, whether we're talking about patents or trademarks. I think when we're talking about patents, the real issue there is that patents are a, a complex process. The, the process of obtaining patent registration is complex. And there's a great deal of scrutiny on the application to ensure that it's, in fact, inventive. So that could be what contributes to, uh, you know, a somewhat lower success rate. I have to say that, and, you know, I, I obviously I am a, am a lawyer and I, and I do this kind of work, but it, it is really true that the more you have in terms of help with these types of applications, the more likely they are to be successful. So that can be a contributing factor as well. I think on the trademark side, 
the likely reason that things haven't been approved at the rates that they used to be is that there were quite significant changes made to the Trademarks Act in the last couple of years. And one of those changes allows for the trademark office to examine trademarks on the basis of descriptiveness as well as distinctiveness. They always examined for descriptiveness, which is basically, does your trademark describe what you use it with? So, you know, a really bad example would be uh, number one, toothpaste for toothpaste. That's always been the case, but distinctiveness is something different that they hadn't always looked at before. And it's really a determination of whether it's a commonly used word or phrase in the industry that you're planning to use it in. And uh, I've certainly seen that this has become a real issue for impacting the success of trademark applications. And again, that's where you know having good counsel at your side and having some knowledge uh, in your back pocket when you start the process uh, will hopefully help to you know to make good decisions at the outset to you know hopefully have more success in the registration process. But I think those changes are really what's driving that uh, that lower success rate. Interesting. Very interesting. And again, that importance of, as you mentioned, having good counsel on your side to help you walk through this process to ensure that all your ducks are in a row, the information is there, um, and that you can accurately and um, distinctively describe that patent or that trademark that you're going after. So one thing that you and I spoke about early on in our conversations when we were talking about the show was your domain name. And so Having So for example, Shannon and I have the Finance Cafe, but you informed me that just because we have that domain name, it doesn't mean that we're protected. So can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. It's a really common myth, to be honest. And I understand where it comes from because I think two of the first steps we take when we start a business is we choose a business name and we register the business with one of the corporate registries, whatever province or territory you might be situated in. And then usually, either at the same time or or even before that, we seek out the domain name for our company. And, you know, that's just the reality of we need to establish the company and we need to establish our presence online because, you know, every business needs that. But the misunderstanding or the issue that arises is that neither of those steps do anything to protect your name. So, when you get that .com or you get that .ca domain, certainly it gives you the rights to use that domain, but you know, for as long as you pay for it. But it doesn't grant you any other rights or protections. And the same goes for your registration as a corporate name. And, and that's a really, really common misconception because, of course, you're filing with a government office. In some provinces, there is a vetting process where the office might come back and say, you know, that name's not available. So it can give the impression that registration is actually going to be granting you some protection for your name. But really, in fact, it does not. So the only real way to protect your trademark in Canada is to register it nationally with the the Canadian Intellectual Property Office, the trademark branch. That's the only real way to to protect it on a national basis. So it is a, it's it's a common misconception and unfortunately it can be an expensive mistake to make. So it's really important to to recognize that those are good first steps but they're they're not the only steps to take. 
So interesting and such great information there. So I want to go back to the start. So let's, first of all, can you describe to our audience, so what is intellectual property? When we talk about this, what are we talking about? Yeah, so it's a term that when I tell people I'm an intellectual property lawyer, they either light up or they look at me like I have no idea what, you know, what you just said. And it's, you know, it's a very large term to to encompass a lot of different things. The best way to look at it is really it's meant to encapsulate intangible property. So if you think of things like, you know, land or, you know, cars as tangible property, when we're talking about trademarks, patents, industrial designs, trade secrets, or copyright, those are all forms of intangible property. And that is really what we mean by intellectual property. So I like to think about it, things that we can't physically touch. Right? Yes. <laughs> so, it's, yeah. you know, I can physically touch my car or, you know, go and step on my land. But when we talk about logos or brand names or inventions, you know, those may not be things that we can actually physically touch. So interesting. So what's the difference then between a patent, a trademark, copyright, trade secret? Like, how do we differentiate between those terms? Sure. It, and it's very common for people to use the terms interchangeably. And, you know, I, I often get emails from people asking me to register a patent when they mean register a trademark. It, it, you know, it's very, very common for these, these sort of terms to kind of get misused. So I'm going to take you through sort of a Cole's notes. I don't know if that <laughs> expression Perfect. even exists anymore of what each of these categories of intellectual property are. First one, trademarks. Uh, and this is something that impacts every single business because you have a name of your business, but you may have product or service names. So this is something that every business is going to have at some level, whether you register them or not. And a trademark is essentially a brand. So a logo, a word, sound, even a color that denotes the source of goods or services. So when the customer or the consumer sees that name or sees that logo, they should associate it with your business. And um, it's really, a ca- you know, it captures the goodwill that's associated with the kind of goods and services you provide. A patent is basically a government-granted monopoly over an invention. So in exchange for that monopoly, that ability to be the only person or the only party who can actively use that technology, in exchange for that, you have to reveal the details in a public filing. So when you've invented a method, it could be a chemical formula, it could be a process, uh, it could be you know, a mechanical uh, item or a medical device, any of those things that could potentially be patented. You have to reveal to the public in your application the details of that technology, but in exchange for that, you get to be the only party that uses that technology other than to those you license it. Industrial designs, you might not hear about these as often. In the U.S., they're known as design patents. And basically what they do is they protect the appearance or aesthetic features of a product that's mass-produced. So. A good example is, uh, of that is, uh, is the, the design on the sole of a shoe. So if you turn over your Nike and you see it has a certain pattern, that might be uh, something that's protected by industrial design. A pattern on wallpaper or textiles, anything wow. that is associated with form, not function. Okay. So, and again, mass produce. 
they're often very recognizable, uh, but they don't, you know, they're not something that impacts how the, you know, how the product is used. So those, those are industrial designs. The last form of intellectual property that can be registered is copyright. So copyright is basically a bundle of rights that protects the expression of an idea. And that's really important. It's the expression of the idea, not the idea itself. So this would be written work, artistic works, software code. All of these things could be protected by copyright. The mere idea for something is not protectable. Uh, I want to say that again. The mere idea for something is not protectable. It has to be, you know, rendered to, you know, either writing or music or software code. And the bundle of those rights include things like the right to reproduce the work, the right to publish it, to broadcast it, to translate it. So there's a whole bunch of rights that are captured by copyright. The interesting thing with copyright is that it arises automatically on creation. So mm. in, in your business context, if you sit down and you write sort of a manifesto for your business, or you write a very comprehensive business plan with a lot of detailed research, that's um, immediately protected by copyright. And you can register copyright, um, and it, it, there are some additional perks to doing that. But it's not necessary to have registered it in order to have the rights in, in that work. And uh, I, I would say this is the one area of business that people tend to think or tend to overlook because we tend to associate copyright with artistic works or music. And, uh, you know, copyright does, in fact, uh, cover a lot of things that businesses create every day and do have quite a lot of value. So that's one just to keep in mind. And then the last form of intellectual property, the big forms, is trade secret. A trade secret is basically proprietary information, information that's valuable, that has been maintained as a secret. So once it's no longer secret, it's no longer protected. You know, the, the classic example is the formula for Coca-Cola. They're often formulations. It could be know-how. It may be something that is valuable but not protectable by a patent or something where the business or the inventor has said, I don't want to reveal this in a patent application. I'm going to just keep it secret. And so as long as it remains confidential, it, it is protected. In Canada, there's no method for you know registering trade secrets. There's no trade secret law other than the common law. So if you want to protect something by trade secret, you really have to take action and your own processes, you know, to ensure that you never share it without confidentiality uh, obligations on the party you're sharing it with. And, you know, so there's a number of things that you can do to protect um, that form of intellectual property yourself without any kind of a registration process. Okay, that was a lot of information. I'm going to see if I if I can sum it up just a little bit. So your trademark. Trademark is something that has to be registered and that would be for your brand or your logo or even your corporate name. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And then we have our patents, uh, which are, you know, an invention. So a process, uh, medical device, those types of items. And that again is something that needs to be registered. Who do we register a patent with? In Canada, all of these items can be registered through the Canadian Intellectual Property Office. 
Okay. And I'm, we're going to put the, the link to the Canadian Intellectual Property Office in the show notes, because I do think there's some, I know there's some re- some relevant information in there and just even some thought starters in there. After, so after the show, ch- go check out the, the CIPO office um, website. Um, the next one that you spoke about was the industrial design. So your example being, you know, the sole of your shoe, think form, not function. Again, something that needs to be registered with the CIPO. And then copyright and trade secrets, which are interesting to me because you don't you so you mentioned so copyright. So I even think about any materials that you're putting out, any writings, but you don't have to register your copyright. So how do you signify that you have a copyright on your, say, on your written work? The best practice is to use the copyright symbol, you know, the C in the circle mm-hmm. and the year that the, the work was created. And that should appear. On, on any materials um, that you create. So ideally, it would be on every page of a, of a report, for example. But on your website, you know, you should have uh, a copyright notice on the homepage of your website. Uh, if you've got materials that you create uh, to give to, to customers or potential customers, again, that C in design and the date is very important to put people on notice that this is your work. Mm-hmm. Um, and it shouldn't be copied without your permission. And how long is that work considered yours? Like how long can it not be uh, reproduced without your permission? It depends a little bit on the nature of the work, but generally speaking, it's based on the the life of the author. Okay. So, um, <laughs> so it can be, you know, 75 years from the death of the author. I mean, it lasts a long time. Wonderful. Okay, perfect. And the last one being the trade secret, your formula for use. Again, and is that something that needs to be registered or can you have a trade secret without being registered? No registration. Fantastic. Okay, that that was great information, Luann. Thank you. But before we move on, do you have anything else that you want to just provide to our audience with respect to those, those five items? The only thing I would say is don't be intimidated by all of that information, because I recognize that it's a lot and sort of understanding the distinction between each of those things seems, it may seem to you like, why do I even need to know that? But I, I really firmly believe that knowledge is power. And when it comes to your business, having some idea of these different forms of intellectual property will expand your thinking about what's valuable within your business and encourage you to take steps to protect it. So, you know, I would just say any chance you get to to learn a little bit more and, you know, that you mentioned the CIPO website, it's a great resource where it really boils things down into to very manageable explanations. I think it's just super worthwhile understanding these things because, you know, they all represent potential areas of value in your business. And you don't want to overlook them just merely because you weren't aware that this was something that you could potentially protect within your business. I love that you've brought up the potential value for your business because 
Um, an intangible property is considered an asset to your business. So if you have a value tied to that and there is a trademark or a patent assigned to it, there's additional value. Um, so when you go and sell your business, if you're looking to expand and grow, you have this ability to say, hey, in addition to this great business, I also have a patent or a trademark for this business, which can, uh, as Luann mentioned, add additional value. So I love that you brought that up. One of the questions that would I think would come up often is, you know, how do I know when to protect and why is it important to protect my intellectual property? Well, I think the main reason that's important to protect your intellectual property is that value proposition that you just mentioned. In many of these situations, you know, these forms of intellectual property are really based on the notion that you've put time and and energy and creativity and inventiveness into something. And the upside to that, the payoff for that type of work that you've done is that you can prevent other people from using that work or doing the same kind of thing or using the same kind of brand. And if you don't take steps to protect that, then you you lose that value. So, you know, trademarks are a great example of this. You know, if you come up with a great brand for your business and you spend a lot of money putting it into advertising and, you know, creating all sorts of materials that that feature your brand and you do nothing to register or protect it. And then somebody, you know, down the street or in the next city or two cities over from you or a different province suddenly starts using the same name that's going to potentially create confusion among consumers. It means that all of that hard work you put into building that brand may have no value now because somebody else is using it. So the steps to take early on to protect these things really does provide for value for you. And, you know, in the case of patents as well, you know, if you if you've come up with something inventive and you do nothing to secure that invention, you may well lose, you know, market share. Somebody else might go out and be able to do, you know, the exact same process or build the same uh, device that you've invented. And all of that time and research that you have accumulated is really not going to pay off uh, because you don't have that exclusivity that you would ha- otherwise have. So I think that's really the important part. It's, it's creating that exclusivity and that's where you find value. I love that you've brought up just the notion of building that brand because for so many entrepreneurs, the fun part of starting a business is designing your website, choosing your colors, creating this massive presence online so that consumers, your clients, your those relationships are being built based on that. And so we can spend a lot of money on getting that brand up to date, but not taking that one additional step to protect it can be detrimental in the end because somebody can take it out from underneath of you. So, I mean, think of of Nike, if Nike wasn't uh, trademarked, I mean, everybody would be using it and everybody would want to buy it. So I love that you've brought that up because that's where I think um, many entrepreneurs focus is they want to build that brand presence. So making sure that they're protecting it, they're adding that additional insurance sort of right for their for their brand. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it kind of ties back to what we were talking about very early in the, the discussion. And that is this notion that people, you know, file things with the trademark office and are not successful in uh, obtaining registration. And some of that is just quite frankly, because there's criteria 
that the Trademark Act, you know, requires for registration. And so I understand that the desire to kind of build that brand and people get excited about a name and and often that name has, you know, personal significance. The thing that you really have to do is you have to temper that with, could I get this registered? Mm. You know, is this something I can protect? Because it, you know, it, it's unfortunately, I'm often the bearer of bad news there where people have built a website, they've chosen a brand, they've gone to their designer and come up with the logo. They've, you know, maybe even gone to an advertising company to help them create the brand. But at no point did anyone ever say, is this something we could register? Is there a similar brand already registered? Or is this potentially not distinctive? You know, all of those things can put a real dampener on all that work that you've you've put into to creating something. So it comes back to that knowledge part and and really kind of asking those questions early on so that you can feel very confident to go, you know what, I, I feel like, you know, there's never a guarantee, but I feel like there's a, a very good chance I can get this registered. Now I'm going to put the time and money into building it rather than the opposite where you put all your time and money into it. And then you realize that you're, you're never going to be able to protect it effectively. And it goes back to that myth that you talked about at the beginning, because we think that, oh, well, we've gone through the process of our selecting our name. Corporate registries has given us our name. So we then assume, oh, we must be able to then move forward with potentially um, trademarking this. And, and that's not always the case is what was what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Great information, Luann. So if I'm an entrepreneur and I think I have something that needs to be patented, trademarked, What's the first step to take in this process? Where do I go? Well, I would say that first step is uh, that visit to to SIPO, get some information, just build your knowledge of what the various forms of intellectual property are so that you're going to be able to go to your council with some information already and maybe some ideas of ways that you potentially could protect what you have. So that would be the first thing is is arm yourself with some knowledge. The next thing I would do is sit down and understand what your priorities are. And what I mean by that is what is important in your business? Where are you going to go with this intellectual property? So in the context of trademark, as an example, you might say, okay, here's my main brand, my house brand, the name of my company. That's what I know for sure is going to be important to me. And I do also have some of these other names that are for products or for services. And those I'm not so sure about yet, or those are not, you know, those products might be short-lived. Are those priority for me? So understanding what your priority is. Same with, you know, seeking patents or trade, you know, looking at trade secrets. What is my plan for this invention? Am I going to manufacture it? Is somebody else going to do that? Am I going to try to license this to someone else? So just understanding what your priorities are will help in in two ways. It's going to help to shape your, your plan for protection. It's going to help you be able to decide where you want to put your money in the protection process. You know, are you going to, to seek protection for every single brand or only one? Those kinds of decisions are, are easier to make once you've set forth you know, a very clear understanding for yourself of what your priorities are. And then I think the next step is choosing someone to assist you in that process. 
you want to make sure that uh, lawyers or agents that you go to are qualified, that they're permitted to practice before the, the, you know, the intellectual property offices, that they have some experience with other jurisdictions potentially, and then have a set of questions. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with interviewing potential counsel. Most lawyers will be happy to to speak to you at no cost for initial consultation and come with some good questions and and then you can you're going to get a sense of you know how they work whether it fits well with your process and hopefully get you some insight into what you want to do next so that when you choose your counsel you feel confident uh, but also you've done some work going in and that's that's going to actually make it a more effective relationship and it's also going to probably save you some time and money as well ah the big one time and money so <laughs> the the question that every entrepreneur wants to know because when we first start our business we're often you know we are bootstrapping funds are limited so what sort of fees are involved with patents, trademarks, trade secrets. What are we looking at? Sure. Well, the good news about trade secrets is it's free. <laughs> you know, as long as you've got a good uh, non-disclosure agreement, then that's your protection. So it's really a process um, issue internally that you have to follow. So there's really no upfront cost to that. Same with copyright. You don't have to seek registration. Um, if you do, registration is very inexpensive in Canada. It's you know you can file on your own quite easily for sixty dollars. Those ones are obviously the least expensive options. Patent applications are the most expensive, and they can vary uh, widely um, depending on the complexity of the invention. Usually, you're looking at forty, fifty. $60,000 potentially or more um, to seek patent protection. And that's going to depend a lot on, you know, what countries you you want to protect your patent in. So that one's a bigger outlay of cash initially. Trademarks, usually you can file a, a trademark, including some, some initial searching, which I think is really important. Usually that process can, can be, you know, under $2,000. Uh, per mark. And, and that's going to be just the initial application. Um, there's going to be, you know, further costs that will, will be incurred, but it's going to be over a fairly long period of time. So, you know, from a budgeting perspective, you can at least make the applications and then you know that maybe eight to 10 months down the road, you're going to have some further costs. There's some variance just depending on what you what you put in your application. Trademarks, you have to list your goods and services and they're classed into sort of groups and the fees are based on how many classes of goods and services you have. So, so there can be some variance there, but when you sort of look at the value proposition of you know, filing a trademark or filing a patent, the upfront cost can sometimes seem, you know, prohibitive. But at the end of the day, the amount of value it adds is, you know, far exceeds the initial cost. There's ways to be effective with your counsel to keep those costs down. But it's it's really something to look at from a long-term perspective because both in the case of trademarks and patents, um, the protection is for a long period of time. Trademarks last for 10 years and you can keep renewing them over and over again as many times as you want. And patents are about 20 years from the time of filing. So, wow. you know, 
it, it, it's sort of a drop in the bucket when you look at it from that long-term perspective. Right. And it is, it's a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow for entrepreneurs, especially in the beginning. But so you mentioned that, you know, having that good working relationship with counsel. So what can an entrepreneur bring to counsel to ensure a smooth and potentially less expensive process if we're getting into this? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Knowledge uh, is really important. Having some background knowledge so that the conversation is one that you can understand and you, it helps you to ask better questions. You know, in the case of a patent, you know, having all of your information in one place, uh, a good expression of the work, um, any any kind of uh, detailed notes, those are all things that are going to be very helpful to your patent agent. From a trademark perspective, is sitting down and, and looking at the trademark register and, and looking at brands that are used in a similar industry as yours to see, you know, what goods and services have they listed, you know, that kind of thing, just having some of that information going in will be helpful to the process of, of engaging counsel and, and, and really saving some time and, and making that, you know, that relationship effective. Mm-hmm. Now on the, on the CIPO website, is there a checklist or any sort of for, like, sort of process documentation on there that an entrepreneur can start looking at in order to start the process? Yeah, in in each case, each form of intellectual property, they do have a sort of step-by-step process and it walks you through what the application process is, what the timing is, you know, what are the next steps, um, fees. It's quite a good website that way. It's it's very helpful. Um, And I would just really always encourage you to go to those types of sources. Um, You know, there's obviously a lot of information out there. Um, You know, if you just Google you know, trademarking in Canada, some of that information might be accurate. Some of it may be completely inaccurate. Um, You might just get information about American law, which, you know, has similarities, but it's not the same. So it's really good to go to those good sources Mm -hmm. um, so that you get, you know, information that you can rely on. Absolutely. And so I'm going to this website, I'm getting all the information that I need. Can an entrepreneur file the application themselves without counsel? Yes. I say that with some trepidation. The system in Canada is actually designed, particularly in the case of copyright and trademark, it's designed to allow people to to file on their own. And they've tried to reduce the barriers to doing that. And, and and that's there's a whole host of really good reasons for that. You know, it's it's helpful to smaller businesses to to keep the costs down. You know, it empowers that innovation to be able to do that. The only caveat I have to that is, it, it's often the case that initial application, if done incorrectly, it may not be something that can be fixed. You know, it may seem like, oh, this is a simple process. I've done this on my own. And, and, you know, filling out the form is not super complicated. But the choices you make um, to get to those answers you put on the form are really important. And once you file the application, there's very little you can do to change it significantly. While it's, it's quite possible to do it, it's something that I would always think twice about unless it's, you know, unless the cost is just so prohibitive that you, you know, you simply can't get counsel. Patents are quite a bit more complicated. And I would, I would discourage people from filing their own patents unless they've done so in the past and they have a really good technical knowledge of the, of the process. 
quite honestly, sometimes um, entrepreneurs come to me and they say, look, I really can't afford the, the cost, but I'm, I'm going to file the application myself. And, and you know, I, I encourage them to do so. And then I always say, you know, when you get to the next step and you get some feedback from the trademark office, and if you find that, that at that stage, it's hard to respond because it's a complicated process, you know, come back and and we can we can assist you. And so, you know, they may have saved a little money up front and then they've bought some time to kind of get some more cash in the bank, so to speak, to to follow through the process. So it is possible to do it that way as well. And, you know, honestly, lots of lawyers and, you know, have programs for entrepreneurs, uh, you know, there's no harm to say, look, I don't have a lot of money. What can I do to reduce the cost of this initial application? And and coming prepared will help with that immensely. So, you know, I wouldn't say that, you know, every law firm is going to say, look, here's our posted fees. We're never going to make an exception. Um, in many cases, lawyers want to work with startups and they see potential there. So they might give you, you know, reduction in fees um, to sort of help you get started that way. So, you know, there's quite a few ways to approach it. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased, but I, I have seen from experience that applications that are made with that with that good background knowledge have a greater chance of success and are more likely to, to really take into account all of the different factors rather than just sort of filing on your own and taking your chances. Luann, I want to reiterate something that you said, which, because we're removing the shame factor around money. Shannon and I at the Finance Cafe do a lot of work to normalize talking about money. And for, for women entrepreneurs, women would rather talk about their own death than money. So what you said with respect to coming to the coming to council and saying, look, I don't have a lot of money to do this right now. What can we do to reduce costs? We can normalize this conversation. It's okay to say that. There doesn't need to be shame or fear or, you know, any negative connotation in there because it is a lot of money up front. But as Luann mentioned, many lawyers will will want to work with startups. They can see that potential and they will do what they can to help support you along that journey. Journey. Um, but and then reiterating, going back to that CIPO website, getting the knowledge so that you have, you know, all of that, all of that paperwork in order, so you can give a nice little package to the to council, and you know they can they can take it from there. So I so appreciate you bringing that up, Luann, because it's so important that we have those conversations, especially in the startup phase. How can I reduce cost to make sure that I'm protecting myself? So thank you for saying that. No problem. And I and I can tell you that male entrepreneurs typically have no problem at all asking for a discount or asking for time to pay. Yep. Um, it's very, very common. I, and I just don't see it as frequently with women. Having said that, though, I, I've worked with many women who have started businesses and when they come, they come in so prepared and they've got some knowledge of their own and they've set their priorities. I, I really want to emphasize the setting your priorities is, is so important because, you know, it's kind of like walking into a supermarket or walking into Costco because we've all done this and without a list, like you come out with the craziest stuff. Like you, you come out with things you don't need and you've spent your money. And if you go in with a list, if you go, okay, if there's only one thing I walk away with, it has to be dog food or whatever, coffee or whatever. Right. You know, you come away with 
with what you need. And it's the same when you engage your counsel. If you come in with your priorities considered, then you can look at the cost and you can say, okay, it's going to cost me X amount for these five trademarks. Which ones are the most important to my business? You know, those are the ones I'm going to spend time and money on now. These others, I'm going to maybe wait for six months. Your counsel can tell you, you know, is there an opportunity to, to wait here? What would the risk be to doing so? But if you have that set of priorities, it's going to be more effective for you. And that really does come from experience and seeing, especially some of the, the female entrepreneurs that I've worked with who really come in with like a plan. And then it's very easy for me to say, yeah, you know what, let's do this first. This can go, this can wait. There's no risk to doing so, or here's the risks to waiting. And you can have a really good, effective conversation. And your counsel can also say, hey, listen, here's how much it's going to cost. How much of that is upfront? How much of that is over the course of a year? You know, is this into two, into another fiscal year? You've got some funding. All those conversations can be had. And Lawyers are happy to have those conversations. They recognize, you know, we all recognize that financial pressures are a real thing. And and we would rather have that conversation with you right at the outset rather than send you a bill that is scary to receive. So the more you can be upfront, even if it's uncomfortable, it will become more comfortable and it will be far less uncomfortable than the conversation you have with your lawyer when they say, well, you haven't paid your bill. Right. Absolutely. Nobody likes having those conversations. Yeah. So on the on this topic of funding and and money. So are you aware of any funding available for women entrepreneurs to get support when applying for protection of their intellectual property? I haven't found any programs that are specific to funding for intellectual property registration, but I will say that there's a lot of programs that are offered through law firms, BLG for example, has um, a program called Driven by Women, which has advice, support, learning opportunities for women in business. Often, we'll have packages of legal services for entrepreneurs, not just women, but for entrepreneurs generally, that will include things like trademark registrations that are at a reduced fee. So I would really encourage you when you're engaging counsel to look for those kinds of opportunities. Um, You know, I think there's obviously, there's probably some kind of public funding uh, as well, but I think most people don't realize that the large Canadian law firms tend to have these entrepreneur programs where, you know, you can go in and get set of agreements and, you know, initial incorporation and initial trademark applications at a reduced cost. So that that's definitely something to to consider. It's not something that people think about very often because you you think you know big businesses are not going to provide these types of opportunities. But um, there are a lot of good programs like that that are offered in by the private sector. Fantastic. So that's BLG's Driven by Women program. And mm-hmm. can they find information on the BLG website? Yeah. Okay. In fact, you, if you just search Driven by Women on on the BLG site, you'll you'll find uh, all the details. That's fantastic. Great information, Luann. Thank you. I've taken up so much of your time. I just want to find, I just want to ask one more question. So what tips can you leave our entrepreneurs with on potential traps to watch out for when it comes to patent or trademark applications? I would say really important to think beyond um, our borders. Intellectual property is jurisdictional in nature. So it needs to be protected in each country that you're going to sell in. So I really encourage you to sort of think long term. If if you 
believe a big market is the United States or a big market is going to be the UK, um, think about that early on and mention that to your council early on because there may be some things that you can do at the beginning of these processes that will you know, serve that priority for you, which you may not have the opportunity to do down the road. So it's really important to think about not just what you want to do now, but what is your long-term goal um, so that you, you can talk to your council about that and make sure that the steps you take now take into account your future plans. That's one thing I think is really important. And it's often something that um, entrepreneurs overlook because they, they're very focused on the now. But when we're planning, there may be opportunities missed if you don't you know, seize those or, or at least consider what your, plan, your long-term plan is. And, you know, the biggest one, and I, I think I've, I've said it quite a few times during the course of this conversation, is just empower yourself with knowledge. Read as much as you can about intellectual property. Get yourself really well, uh, you know, self-educated on these topics because, it, you know, it may not be the thing that excites you and it's probably not what you started your business about, but it's really such a valuable asset to the business. And the more knowledge you have, the, the more ability you're going to have to protect that, to, to grow that asset, and to get effective counsel. So I think, I think those are the two things that I would really want people to, to leave this conversation with. Oh, Luan, you've provided such great information. A few key takeaways for me today really is understanding and knowing your priorities. So what's, you know, even one thing that you want to make sure you walk away from, uh, and you've said it a number of times as well, the knowledge is power. Head on over to the CIPO website. We will have the link in our show notes and get an understanding of, of what these terms are and understanding if you have one of these assets that could potentially be protected in your business. Because as you're growing your business, you want to make sure that everything in there is protected and that you're building that value because the, the, the intellectual property will have a value assigned to it. And then the last thing, and it's an easy one, I think we can all do, if you're in the business of, of offering potentially resources or tools to your customers, making sure that you're adding that copyright symbol onto your documents, <laughs> protecting those, those assets, that's, that's a free, easy way to make sure that the information that you're putting out there is copyrighted and not easily reproduced by anybody else. So Luann, thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge with our listeners today. Where can women learn more about or connect with you? Well, you can uh, you can find out about my firm and my practice at blg.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. That's uh, Luann Morrow is, uh, is my LinkedIn name or handle or I don't know what the cool, <laughs> the cool people say. <laughs> Fantastic. And we will have all of your details in show note in the show notes. So if anybody uh, listening has any questions, reach out to Luann. Tons of information that she's provided today. So thank you so much, Luann, for joining us today. And thank you to our listeners. And make sure to tune in next week for an ep- another episode of the Finance Cafe podcast. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Finance Cafe podcast. Want to dig deeper? As a valued listener, we'd love to offer you an exclusive discount to our financial literacy program. Use the code PODCAST10 to get 10% off. Visit thefinancecafe.ca to join or to take our free financial literacy quiz. 
We would be so grateful if you could show some love for your favorite financial podcast. Just like, subscribe, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you are listening from and help other listeners like you connect with us. See you again next week on the Finance Cafe Podcast.